0: Love Talk Radio.
1: at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett. I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Now, you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have a wonderful lineup of experts who will share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. All of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. Now, some of you may have had the opportunity to listen to Aaron Dorsey as he gave a two-part series on slave era research Well, tonight we're going to continue talking about slave era research The discussion is going to focus on the process of identifying and documenting slaves on the Lipscomb plantation in Durham, North Carolina Gwendolyn Olson the guest for the show, the show tonight is a registered nurse at Stanford Hospital in the California Bay Area. She is also a family historian and researcher who has been fascinated by her family roots as long as she can remember. Gwendolyn's research led, to, led her to document the slaves on the Liscombe Plantation and to meet many slave descendants of those families. She also obtained a few pictures, and she's actively looking for more photographs of the former slaves and their first-generation descendants. She has compiled a short story of the slave history of the Liscomb Plantation, which is made available to guests at the Arrowhead Inn and has turned out to be a very popular read. Let me just give a warm welcome to Gwendolyn Olson to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Gwendolyn, are you online?
0: I am. Hello, Bernice. Well, welcome. Welcome.
1: I'm, I've am i been just telling everybody about you, and so I'm so glad to have you on tonight. Well, Gwendolyn, why don't you tell us, what were your first genealogy experiences?
0: Well, uh, my dad grew up separate from, or actually my My family grew up separate from my dad's family. My dad's family had migrated to Spokane, Washington in 1905 from Durham, North Carolina, um, to escape a depression there. There were opportunities in Spokane, so uh, my great-grandfather took his six children and moved up there. And my father's mother died when he was young, and he was by far the youngest of all of the cousins. And so he would hear stories from his cousins and his aunts about his family, and He would, in turn, pass that down to me, and he was the only relative of that family that I knew, and he would tell me all of these um, stories about his family's life in Durham and his family's life in uh, Spokane, Washington, and I'd been fascinated by these stories since I was a little girl. And as a matter of fact, I used to carry around a little red spiral-bound uh, notebook that I still have from um, the time I was a little girl, and I used to jot down everything that he told me about it, um trying to research my family history.
1: Wow, you're some smart kid to do that.
0: <laughs>
1: and very lucky that your father shared all that information with you.
0: Yes, my well, dad. Were had, you? I'm sorry. Ahead. Oh, my dad gonna... had, had a cousin named Isabel who was actually the only close relative that i knew when i was growing up and she was named for my great grandmother isabel mcmahon in lipscomb and she used to travel back to Durham every year and do research and she would talk to us about the research that she did and the last time i visited her in the 1990s she showed me some pictures of my great great grandmother whose name was um, julia forsyth lipscomb except i didn't know about the forsyth back then and mm-hmm. she um and pictures of my great-grandfather, Mac Lipscomb. And that was the first time that it occurred to me that there were pictures as well as stories. Now,
1: you you shared some pictures with us. Are those the pictures of the individuals you're talking about?
0: Yes. Well, one of the pictures is a picture of my great-grandfather, Mac Lipscomb. Mm -hmm. And um, the other picture, which I was uh, very excited to find, was a picture i believe of another uh slave of the lipscomb plantation who is actually my one of my third cousins great great grandfather by the name of uh Philip Lipscomb and we found it was found in his daughter's with his daughter's belongings when she died and the reason i believe that this is philip is because her it's much too old to be her father it mm-hmm. is much too old to have been, I mean, not to be her father. It's much too old to have been her husband. The man is much too old to have been her brother. And mm-hmm. there was no reason for her to have anyone else's picture in there in her, um, with her belongings. So I believe that this is Philip uh, Lipscomb. I'm mm-hmm. continuing to, to do research on the picture, but I believe that that is, uh, that is Philip Lipscomb. Um, well, the I also pictures are beautiful. It is. I also have a I found some documentation about Philip Lipscomb um about his purchase um in the slaves um in the slave papers at the archives in Raleigh where they have a documentation of how John Lipscomb purchased Philip Lipscomb from Sarah Poole's estate. And I was very excited to find that that I also passed on to my third cousin and I have in my papers um Oh, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, another picture that I showed you was a copy of the cohabitation report for yes. my great great grandparents. And uh, Orange County is very lucky in that they kept theirs in a book. In 1866, it was required that all of the former slaves register their slave marriages if they decided to continue it. And it cost a quarter, which must have been a lot of money for them back then. And yeah, Orange County probably. registered over a 1,000 marriages, and mm-hmm. they registered it in a book. And the, and the fact that it was in a book meant that it's there for people to, uh, you know, look at. There are a lot of other counties that just registered them on loose pieces of paper, and those pieces of papers got lost. You know, they weren't really that important um, along the line because they were blacks. And there are a lot of counties in North Carolina that don't have any cohabitation uh, records. But um, Orange County is lucky in that they still have most of theirs. And I was able to find the cohabitation records for most of my ancestors, as well as the people from the um, Lipscomb Plantation that registered their marriages and I was Well, well
1: to let's let's go back a, a minute. Now, when did you, I mean, you said you found all these records, but when did you start your
0: serious research? Um, I started my serious research probably in about 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my mother died, and my mother didn't like genealogy. She felt like they were all dead, just leave them alone. And my mm-hmm. father died when I was in my early 20s, and so I didn't have him to ask questions. Of anymore, and I would ask my mother some questions, and she knew some things about my dad's family, but not as much as what I wanted. So mm-hmm. with the computer age, you know, I got online, I found AfroGenius, and I started putting out requests. And one of the requests that I made um, was about, you know, Lipscomb family in Durham, and I saw a woman whose name was Yvonne. Um Who was making a request about Lipscombs in the same area, so I contacted her, and I'd already done a lot of research and had already expanded my curiosity from my direct family to encompass the entire slave plantation and I'd started uh documenting a lot of the families because you know i look I would look at the eighteen seventy uh, census and see all of these Lipscombs all living together and mm-hmm. It was just very interesting how they appeared to have leaned on each other you know, for support in those early years. So I just started documenting all of the families and trying to find out as much as I could. So I contacted Yvonne, who was very excited to have gotten to um, an email from me. And so we became friends. And she started pressuring me to um, go back to Durham and do some more research and meet family members. Mm -hmm. So um, I was kind of like, I don't know. She said, well, you can stay with my cousin. She was putting her cousin's uh, home up for me that her cousins that didn't know me and I was thinking well that's kind of awkward what if we don't like each other so <laughs> meanwhile I mean you don't know so yeah. meanwhile my dad's first cousin his last first cousin Isabel died in Los Angeles and um, I contacted uh, my other cousin uh, who was her executor who was also a Lipscomb relative up in Spokane and I started talking to him and he and handing him research that I'd done, and he started handing me all of these pictures that I didn't know existed, hundreds of pictures of my family dating back to uh I found one from eighteen ninety five some others from like nineteen ten the beautiful pictures, so we started talking, and I got in contact with my family in Spokane that I didn't know um I knew they existed, but I didn't know any of them, so we became acquainted. So um, I was talking with Yvonne about going over to Durham. So finally I made plans to go to Durham in 2007. So I talked my cousins into coming with me. So we all met for the first time at the Lipscomb Inn or the Arrowhead Inn in uh, Durham, North Carolina. And when I made my reservations, I told them I wanted the Lipscomb Room because I was a descendant of the Lipscomb slaves. So I was able to stay in the room. Five of my cousins came out with me to um, North Carolina, to the Arrowhead Inn, and we all stayed there. And the innkeepers were so excited to have so many of the descendants of the slaves there that they contacted the uh, newspaper and thought that it would be a great human interest um, story. So the newspaper thought so as well. So the newspaper came over and interviewed me and put a picture of my great-great-grandfather, um in the newspaper and I explained to them that my great great grandfather was actually born in the um Arrowhead Inn um there is he is documented there in the 1870 census as a 10 month old child living in the Arrowhead Inn along with the former owner and a woman that I have to presume is his was his grandmother because I can't imagine you leaving a 10 month old child with anybody other than say a grandparent or someone that you've really trusted. And so along with his brother, and I found his um parents elsewhere, you know, setting up a home with some other of his children. And so they did a story, they um ran a picture of my great-grandfather and that actually put me in contact with some other relatives that I had been looking for. Um relatives of my great-great-grandfather's, not my great-great, my great-grandfather's brother who had stayed in um, Durham. So uh, we exchanged information and pictures. And it's funny that my family who left had all the pictures. His family um, had some information, but they did not realize that there were pictures uh, of this generation that were in existence. And when I first met him, I showed him pictures of my great grandfather and of my great grandfather's brother who migrated with him over to Spokane and I went over to the church that my great great my great grandfather, uh Mac Lipscomb's brother Isham, was the first minister of it's called Lipscomb Grove Baptist Church in Durham, uh, North Carolina. And I was talking to the the members of the church, and I said, well, I've got these two great pictures of his brothers, but there's no existing picture of Isham." And they said, oh, yes, there is. We've got a lovely picture here that's been hanging in the entrance of the church for the past hundred years. So they brought down this wonderful picture of my great-grandfather's brother that his descendants had no idea existed, and they'd been going to that church for you know, all of their lives. They just walked under the picture as if it were a piece of the furniture, completely ignoring the fact that it might be their family member. So that put them in touch with um a lost uh a lost picture. Well now Gwen this
1: is a really fascinating story. But I just wanna know how did it feel to go to the Arrowhead Inn and stay in the Lipskin room? Tell me what was that
0: like? It was surreal. um walking around, realizing that my ancestors had walked this land and worked this land and worked this land without choice was just mm-hmm. and they survived it was It just made me respect my ancestors so much more. Mm-hmm. And when I look at what they were able to accomplish um my great grandfather, shortly after the Civil War, bought some land and it selling that land enabled him to move to Spokane to mm-hmm. start a new life and the other The other thing that brought home to me was that when I met my Lipscomb cousins and I call everyone from the Lipscomb Plantation a cousin, whether they're really related to me or not. I think that we are all cousins in situation. You know, we were all bound in involuntary servitude on this plantation, and okay. our family survived, and I think that makes us related in some way, even if we're not, you know, related by blood. Okay. And, um, you know, the, the, I and so many of the people in Durham didn't realize what our, relationship was with the arrowhead Inn. they drive by it every day and did not realize that this was the source of our family name and the source of where our ancestors came from Mm -hmm. so I was able to put them in touch with their roots that way and the owners of the arrowhead Inn said that after I visited and after um, the article came out in the paper they had tons of visitors that were coming by saying that my ancestors were enslaved here can i look around and mm. that had never happened before
1: so you so really open up that door
0: i did and the other thing that is great is i will talk to people in durham and they'll say oh my mother was a lipscomb or my you know my father was a lipscomb or you know my grandmother was a lipscomb and i tell them give me their names and i'll tell them um what family they descend from mm. and Almost, I can almost always identify them uh, from one of the major families and say, "Okay, this is the earliest um, ancestor I have identified with your family." And I've identified some of them that have gone back to that were born like around eighteen hundred, seventeen ninety-five. You know, I have not, I have not gotten to the deed books to go back further, which is what I plan to do the next time I go uh, go to Durham. But I've organized them into. Um, eight separate families. There are eight major families that I've found there. In well, before 18- you go
1: into the discussion about the families, um, which newspaper uh, did this uh, article appear in?
0: Um, just a second, and I will get the paper. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, that I didn't think about getting. But um, let me see. Um, so you know, so I can organize them in the separate in the different families and give them I've located most of the names of the slaves their wives and mm-hmm. in 1860 according to the slave uh, according to the um slave records um John Lipscomb John and William Lipscomb had uh 52 slaves and out of those 52 I've identified almost 40 of those slaves Um, One of the problems that I'm running into is that some of the slaves on the Lipscomb plantation will not be carrying the Lipscomb name after emancipation because their fathers were on other plantations. And after Mm -hmm. the war, they'll have changed their surname to whatever their father was, Mm -hmm. whoever their father's name was. Um, So the name of the newspaper was The Herald's Son, and okay. it was printed in November eleventh two thousand
1: and seven Mhm, the herald Sun, okay, yes. and that was November eleventh two thousand and seven two thousand seven. So yes. take us back to your research. Now, you identified fifty two slaves, yes, and then how did you identify those fifty two
0: slaves? okay, well, according to the slave. Uh, census there were 52 slaves the problem with having 52 slaves that it's hard to pin a certain slave and say oh this is that slave because you'll have like five female five-year-olds and nine female eight-year-olds and you know even when you get to the older slaves Um, what I've done is that these slaves um, were either working on the plantation after the Civil War in 1870, and mm-hmm. were living together. And there was only one Lipscomb in Orange County at the time, so I have to assume that these were slaves on this plantation. The other mm-hmm. thing, too, is that all of these people were interacting with each other as if they knew each other. They're all living next to each other mm-hmm. um, or, you know, within a few doors of each other. Now, there are some slaves, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not slaves, there are some Lipscombs in Wake County, county that do not belong on this plantation or I have not found that they belong on this plantation. Um, And there are some in um, some other counties that I, uh, Lipscomb's in other counties because William Lipscomb, who was the original owner of the Lipscomb plantation, originally came from Person County. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, I can't find a lot of the slaves that remained in Person County. It seems like they, for the most part, came over to Orange County. And in the early 1800s, he built a large property in Orange County, and he had about 2,000 acres. And he grew tobacco, and he had a mill. And one of the interesting things I found was that um, he had a slave that he apparently was fond of named Anderson. And Mm -hmm. Anderson was involved in a... Uh, fight in 1846 where he stabbed another uh, slave from another plantation. And it um, it caused... Um, he uh, Anderson ended up getting arrested and there was a big trial. And the, I found the uh, transcript for the trial in the Raleigh archives. And mm-hmm. it describes what happened. The slaves were at church. Apparently, Anderson and this other slave had uh, his name was uh, Daniel, had some bad blood between them. And Daniel attacked Anderson, and it looked like it was pretty much decided to be self-defense on Anderson's part because this guy struck Anderson a couple of times, and he was just trying to get away. And um, Daniel picked up a rock, and then Anderson ended up stabbing him. And it's this long trial, and they deposed seven slaves. Um For this trial, they um, Mm -hmm. talked to them. And the funny thing was I was able to identify most of the slaves that they deposed as uh, ancestors of a lot of Lipscomb slaves. And people Mm -hmm. that I know, I was able to go to them and say, hey, this person mentioned in here is your ancestor. And recently when I reread it again, I realized that one of the references in this trial was to my great-great-grandfather, Samuel Lipscomb um mm-hmm. and the whole reason the fight occurred was because my great-great-grandfather and another slave named Henry were attacked by uh what they called the Bumpass boys the um two slaves from the Bumpass plantation and mm-hmm. Anderson had made some remark about uh, i guess retaliation or Daniel thought Anderson had made some remark about some retaliation and that's what was the cause of the fight and i had never noticed my great great grandfather's name mentioned in there as one of the boys that um led up to the fight and so that was exciting so i always read things you know 10 or 12 times even though i know i think i know everything that is in the article um so um anderson was anderson was um um incarcerated and John Lipscomb paid $1,000 to bail him out, which is a good amount of money, back in 1846.
1: Yes, it and, certainly was.
0: Yes, and um, he defended him you know, in, during the trial. So Anderson ended up getting off and going back home with John. And so I have some questions about Anderson's relationship with John and William, because Anderson carries the same name as one of William and John's relatives and okay. according to right according to a history of durham anderson was he was the miller and he and john lipscomb who was william's um son were supposed to both inherit the mill 50/50 uh-huh. you know a white man and a black slave were supposed to inherit this mill but they mortgaged the mill in 1860 before william died and anderson never got um, his share of the mill, but the other interesting thing was that when William wrote his will, he split all of Anderson's children among all of his all of his children,
1: uh-huh. which
0: was you know splitting up the family of someone that it appears that he was attached to was just a very strange way to show how much you cared about someone.
1: Well, and, and I would think that perhaps this was not unusual, that they wanted to keep them in the family since they perhaps had been with the family for a long time.
0: That That is true, but I would think that if it was a slave that he really cared about, he'd at least send all of the children with one, one of his children and keep all mm-hmm. of the children together instead of splitting them up amongst the children. But, of course, William Lipscomb died after the war was over, and it was a moot point because... Um, they were no longer slaves after that.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Gwendolyn, we're going to take a quick
0: break and then come back, okay? Okay.
1: to research at the National Archives and Beyond blog talk radio. This is your host Bernice Bennett, and you're listening to Gwendolyn Olson recount her research on the Liskin plantation. Gwendolyn, this is such a fascinating story, and I want you to just tell us what did that plantation look like. Tell us about Arrowhead.
0: Well, the arrowhead is actually on a small portion of the plantation. Um, I can't actually recall how much acreage it's on. It can't be more than 10 or 20 acres. And it is beautifully landscaped, and it looks like you would imagine a colonial home would look like. But according to the innkeepers, it doesn't look anything like it looked like what it looked like in the 1700s and the 1800s. It's been enlarged quite a bit since uh, the end of the Civil War. Um, oh,
1: okay. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: but it is a lovely house, um, mm-hmm. and the grounds, you know, has a lot of old trees on it. They have several old magnolia trees that had to have been standing there when uh, my family worked the land. Um. It's it's a it's a lovely house and I would encourage anyone who is a descendant of uh the Lipscomb from the Lipscomb plantation to go take a look. Um mm-hmm. there are for now, you know, it's surrounded by uh woods. Durham is uh, quite a rural area even though it's considered a city. Um there are, a lot of it is rural and overgrown now. So I would imagine that many of the fields of tobacco that my ancestors worked are part of the surrounding landscape that is now covered with trees. Mm -hmm. Now you
1: mentioned mm – go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you mentioned uh, court records and, and testimony. What other kinds of information did you find on the Lipscomb Slaves?
0: Well, one of the things, um, in the beginning, what I used were the census records to try to um, figure out, you know, all of the different slaves and the different slave families. And then as records became available, I started looking at death certificates and um, seeing who they mentioned as being their parents. And it's funny that a lot of them died, uh, very elderly people, and by that time, anyone who knew who their family members or who their parents were had died. And luckily, a lot of them i had already identified the parents and um you know i i could i knew who the parents were so it didn't matter that the death certificate said uh didn't say anything so um another thing that i looked for i looked for marriage records um there were marriage records from the 1800s orange county kept great marriage records i was mm-hmm. able to go down to the recorder of deeds for orange county on my last trip and actually handle you know marriage records from the um 1870s 1860s and quite mm-hmm. often they did name who their parents were and i came up with some surprising you know results but unfortunately i didn't wasn't able to stay as long as i wanted to because there's always one more record you want to look up and mm-hmm. find you know find a parent but the most exciting thing that happened while i was there was that i located a sibling of my great grandparents that I didn't know existed. Um I did not know they had an older sister and I found her their older sister's marriage record. Um mm-hmm. one of the other things that I discovered is that back in the days when you didn't have birth certificates, people changed their names, you know, if you didn't like your name, you could change your name to something else along the way. You know, I had a mm-hmm. grand aunt who changed her name several times and I kept running into, you know, Vera and can't remember some other names, and I would say, who the heck is she? And my cousin said, oh, that's Aunt Bailey. She was just experimenting with other names. And she changed her name from Isabel, which she was named after her mother, and she died Bailey. But in between she had several other names that she changed (laughs) her name to. And that wasn't uncommon. Another thing Mm -hmm. that I realized was that um, people would have, say, a slave name that they, I guess they would be called... By their owners, and then they had the name that they called themselves. And one of the people that I found this in uh, was my great grandmother, my great great grandmother um, Julia Forsyth Lipscomb. Um, mm-hmm. In her slave paper, she's known as Dicey, and I would have never found that except that one of her sons listed her name in on his death certificate as Dicey, and I was saying Dicey. Her name is Julia. Where in the heck did Dicey come from? And then he listed her maiden name, and that was the first time I'd seen her maiden name as Forsythe. The other issue that you run into is that when you're doing a death certificate, the person taking the information is not necessarily going to ask a black person how to spell the name, and the black Mm -hmm. person is not necessarily going to know how to spell it. And Forsythe was spelled in such a strange name as luckily, luckily, I could look phonetically at it and say, okay, so what name is this? And I was able to figure out that it said Forsyth, Dicey Mm -hmm. Forsyth. So then go back and look at other records and find her as a teenager being sold or actually given as a deed of gift by William Forsyth to his daughter, uh, Susan Forsyth Walker, when she married her husband. Um, So I found her being given away. So in some records, I find her listed as Dicey. In some records, I find her listed as Julia. And apparently, at home, she was called Dicey. But when she would talk to the census taker or anything having to do with any kind of record-keeping, she would refer to herself as Julia. Mm -hmm. And I found other people like this that would have various names, a name that they were called at home or a name that they were called during slavery, and then they would rename themselves uh, something else in a name that they would tell to the census takers, so mm-hmm. you have to be aware you have to be aware of that that you're talking about the same person, even though you're finding two distinctly different names right well, what you're saying though
1: is very consistent with the discussion. Uh, Last year when we had Aaron Dorsey on and he talked about the need to look at various documents To come to a conclusion that you're really looking at the right person and the same person
0: And it sounds
1: like that's what you did You had a document where she was called Dicey and then you were able to go back to the slave record And see the exact same uh, name
0: Yes, I never take one record and make an assumption that this is the correct information. I like to have two or three pieces of documentation giving me the same information. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to look at the documentation because you have, sometimes you have two or three pieces of documentation that appear to be giving you different information. But you need Mm -hmm. to get that fourth piece of information to tie it together to find out that, no, it is saying the same thing but different ways. Mm-hmm. So as in, you know, the Dicey Lipscomb as opposed to Julia Lipscomb. So I had to go look yes. at other information to find out that, you know, it is the same person. It is giving me the same information. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I have discovered or that I have figured out doing the research is that I would go to Durham, I would look at something and it, and put it aside because it didn't look like something that was relevant to what I was searching for, and then get mm-hmm. back home and get other information and realize that that's a piece that I needed. So now when I look at something and it doesn't appear to be relevant, I put it in my pile and I get it anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. And chances
0: are I'll look at it later when I have other information and find out that this is a piece of information I need and can slot it you know, where it needs to go. Yeah, so, yeah. So um, I wanted to go into the different family groupings that I found on the Lipscomb Plantation, the major family groupings that I found. So um, I found Philip Lipscomb, um, who I mentioned before, who was born in 1837 and was purchased from the Poole Plantation um, after the death of his owner, Sarah Poole. And he married a woman named Edith Holman. And Edith Holman was on a plantation next door, and that's what often happened. Um, They're large – Philip Lipscomb was the third largest slave owner in Orange County. And what happened was, you know, you marry off your daughter to the next door neighbors to kind of consolidate your holdings. And the Holmans were related to um, the Lipscombs through marriage. So uh, Philip Lipscomb married a woman from the uh, Holman plantation named Edith. And more than likely, his children were living on the Holman plantation instead of on the Lipscomb plantation during slavery. And then I found um, Harry Lipscomb, who was born in 1828, and his wife Carolyn Lipscomb, who was also a Lipscomb slave. And I also found um, she was born in 1832, and her mother, Rhoda Lipscomb, was born in the late 1700s. And all of their children would have been born on the Lipscomb plantation. And Yvonne um, descends from this family. Um, Yvonne, the person I first contacted. The person
1: who contacted you. Yes.
0: Yes. She mm-hmm. was born there. And I actually stay, now I stay at my cousin's house whenever I visit Durham to do um, research. Mm-hmm. And we have become very fast friends and cousins. And then there was a Granderson, Granderson Lipscomb. He's another person who has carries the same name as a, Lipscomb, a white Lipscomb relative, which I find strange. And he was born in 1823, and he also married a Holman by the name of Iris Holman, who was born in 1820. And so their um, children would have been residing on the plantation next door. And I am descended from Samuel Lipscomb, who was born in 1833, and he married Julia Forsyth in 1836. Now, Julia Forsyth, as I mentioned before, was on the Walker Plantation, which was in Person County. Well, William Lipscomb also owned about 300 acres in Person County. So it wasn't mm-hmm. inconceivable to have Samuel going back and forth between Person and Orange because they weren't that far apart and meeting Julia there. And his children were born on the Walker Plantation, and I did find them there. And I believe his mother is Minerva, who was born in 1813, simply because in 1870 several of his small children are there, one working as um, one working as a domestic, and the other one there as an infant and she was would have been the only one that would have been trustworthy you know uh in a position to, to care for that child and I can't imagine you leaving a child with someone who's not a relative who is a ten month old so were uh, any anyway, of the
1: children named Minerva
0: no there's and there were no children named Minerva um actually he just he had four sons and one daughter that i found so far. So uh, there were, um, I just found Jane, who was the oldest, and then there was Isham, who was the minister of the Lipscomb Grove Baptist Church, and then there was mm-hmm. Charles, who immigrated to Spokane with my great-grandfather, and then my great-grandfather, Mac, and then the youngest one's name, they called him Allie, and I. he kind of dropped off and I thought he died, but about mm-hmm. a week ago I found paperwork on him, um he had um he had a bastardy uh charge brought against him that he fathered a child so i'm when next time i go to durham i am going to contact that family and let them know that they are related to the Lipscombs in case they don't know mm-hmm. um so i plan on contacting researching that family cuz the family's name is now wade contacting that family and letting them know the connection and um So then there was uh, Peter Lipscomb, who married a woman named Mary that I suspect was from the Lipscomb plantation uh, Uh because several of the children I have found on the Lipscomb plantation. So I have a feeling, and Mary died uh, before, um, um, before the 1870 census. And then, of course, there's Anderson, who was born in 1813, and he has the largest family of any of them. And he married a woman who was a Lipscomb slave, but interestingly, her na- last name was Sneed. So she must have been purchased from the Sneeds, and she retained mm-hmm. the name Sneed after, um, after emancipation. But she died before the 1870 census. But her children, on their death certificates, all uniformly listed a Rowan Sneed as their mother. So I, mm-hmm. this, I'm sure that this is correct. So he later married a woman named Sally Roberts. And uh, Anderson and Sally didn't have any children. Um, there was a Richard Lipscomb who was born in 1815, and he married a woman named Rebecca Nichols. And um, he also had um, a large family, but but Anderson by far was the most prolific um, um, father. And... I found some people that I really could not have not been able to attach to either of these eight major families. Some of them I suspect are also Anderson's children and a research um I'll have to do further research to be able to uh place them for sure. Well now uh,
1: how are you organizing uh the records?
0: I'm Even organizing the eight
1: major families. How I am how organizing
0: how you them go? Yeah, I'm organizing them in uh books. <laughs> I'm organizing them on a chart. Um, Mm -hmm. So what I've done is I've tried to research them down to about 1900, 1910, and I'm trying to be as thorough as I can from the 1870 to 1910. But I also, on my next trip back to Durham, I want to go and get the um, deeds and try to figure out where these people came from to see Mm -hmm. if they're like second generation. Because I found uh, William Lipscomb with slaves as far back as 1820. So I want to find out, you know, if these were original slaves or I'm sure I can find parents of some of these, especially, I suspect, Granderson and Anderson. Um, Mm -hmm. I would suspect that their parents were also slaves and um, perhaps some of the other ones. But I want to get to the point where someone on the streets of Durham can walk up to me and say, you know, I'm a Lipscomb or my mother is a Lipscomb or whatever, and I can say, well, give me your grandmother's name and I can tell you, you know, who she descends from. So later on, after I feel like I've thoroughly researched this area from about 1910 on back as far as I think I can go, then I'll come back further, come down to, say, 1910 uh, to 1940 mm-hmm. and do more research, because, and mostly because people... Um, When you get past like about 1910, people can give you enough information that you can say, "Oh, well, born in you know, you're such and such, and this is their parent. Oh, I can attach them to you know, I can attach them to a tree." Whereas the information back pre 1900 is a little more difficult to search out. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have several
1: questions for you, uh, Gwendolyn, coming out of the chat room and uh one of the questions have you uh connected with the uh white descendants of the lipskins
0: the funny thing about the descendants of the lipskins which i kind of find ironic as well as the fact that as soon as the war was over they went from being a very wealthy family to losing everything mm-hmm. um soon after the war they pretty much lost they lost the home they they just lost everything um the family dottered out, I don't know if you know that I guess you would know that term. The family daughtered out, so there aren't mm-hmm. any white Lipscombs in Durham anymore um, they're um everyone in Lipscomb uh, i mean in Durham carrying the Lipscomb name are all they're all black um I have not connected with mm-hmm. any of the the family members. I have cousins that have worked with people who said that they were descended from you know, the people of the Lipscomb Plantation, and I hope at some point to get in touch with people who have descended from the owners of um, the Lipscomb Plantation and see Mm -hmm. if perhaps they have more information. Because the nice thing about the Durham area of uh, North Carolina, you know, they have Duke University there. They They have a lot of university papers. I tell you, I have a whole career. There's at least 100 years' worth of research that I can do just in that area on that plantation searching paperwork in all mm-hmm. of the areas that they have it in uh the Durham area. But no, mm-hmm. I have not talked to any of the descendants of William and John Lipscomb. Right.
1: Now how are you collecting family photos and finding descendants?
0: You know, I walk up to people and they you know, I talk to them and I ask them for photos. And the funny thing is, you know, the elder elderly people have photos tucked in books That they haven't brought out in years Because nobody's been interested in them And I've actually had people Forward them to me through someone else Because they know that I'm collecting And I'm interested Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't have At this point many pictures of the Lipscomb um, Lipscomb slaves But I'm actively looking for them I have Mm -hmm. a lot of old pictures From some other old Durham branches of my family That have been forwarded to me But Mm -hmm. um, I am looking for pictures from the Lipscomb um the former Lipscomb slaves and mm-hmm. I know they're out there. I just shipped off a lot of paperwork um a lot of documentation to the descendant of a uh, Lipscomb slave who I contacted on my last trip to Durham and we were discussing it and mm-hmm. he wanted to see what I had. So my other purpose is to try to get as many people, as many African Americans as I can, interested in genealogy and interested in, you know, in their history. And I think one of the things in Durham that I was running into is that they're living it. They've been there for 200 years, and they don't think they hadn't thought about it. So Uh I'm getting them to think about, you know, where their roots come from and how far they've come. And uh, as a matter of fact, I found a relative, um, not on the Lipscomb branch, but I found a relative who fought in the Civil War and was able to give that information to a cousin to take with them when they went to school and talked about the Civil War to say, here, I have a relative that fought for the Union Army as a black man in the Civil War. and. Mm-hmm. um people there are people there who have owned their land for over a hundred years, and one of my cousins told me that the teacher was asking them to um asking them you know when their family brought their bought their property and whatever, and they'd owned their property longer than anybody else in the in the class, including all of the whites that were in the class and she mm-hmm. didn't believe it; she thought that they uh she thought that he was giving her incorrect information. So her uh grandmother was his grandmother was so outraged that she sent a copy of a deed and said, Here, this is this is the proof. Yes, we have had this property since, you know uh, since this time. In fact he is telling you the truth.
1: That's so is well quite interesting. Yeah that I, they I, wouldn't wouldn't believe the the family members. No. Now there's a question, I mean, do you know if any of the Lipskins migrated to Texas?
0: You know, the White the, the Lipscomb the White Lipscomb family originated in Virginia. Um mm-hmm. and like so many of the North Carolina families, um most of the old families in North Carolina came from Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. or at least in the Durham area. So they migrated from Virginia down to North Carolina. And, yes, other branches of the family, the white family from um, um, from Virginia did migrate. They have a large presence in Texas. Mm-hmm. But I haven't found most of the slaves from the Lipscomb Plantation. I found some that have migrated to Pennsylvania um I found some that migrated to Illinois. I haven't found any in Texas, which is not to say that there aren't any there. Like mm-hmm. I said that I pretty much stopped at about nineteen ten. And as 1910. of nineteen ten yeah, as of nineteen ten I have not found any that have gone to um Texas. Now how
1: many trips have you made back and forth to North Carolina and, and just about how long has this research uh taken you?
0: Well, I gone back um, let me see, uh, I think 5, 2007, eight, nine, 10, 11. I've gone back five times. Mm-hmm. And I usually stay about a week, and I make a game plan before I go. Mm-hmm. I have a list of things that I want to do while I'm there. And my lovely cousins, they very patiently take me where I want to go. They drive me around to the different places that I want to visit and get information I've gone to the archives so many times that uh they have a fifty page a day limit, and they have um copied like over a thousand pages for me in a day, knowing that I'm from California, I'm just there one day, and uh they'll copy me copy for me whatever I want and I usually That's budget yeah I usually budget one to two hundred dollars for uh paperwork because the copies are ten cents a piece mm-hmm. um I went to the Durham um Deeds and Records to try to get marriage certificates uh there on my last trip and the computer their computer was acting up and it couldn't print out the marriage certificates and I was so upset because I wanted all the marriage certificates of Lipscomb's pre nineteen twenty and um mm-hmm. I couldn't get them. And then we ended up going to the Orange Deeds and Records um department and we got there about an hour before they closed, and I wasn't finished researching <laughs> before they closed, and I missed some records that I wanted. Now, do so you take pictures of pictures. some of the, the, I the records? I do. Mm-hmm. I bring my digital camera everywhere. You know, right. I take my digital camera, I... Um, and I, it, digital cameras are wonderful. I take my digital camera and I take uh, pictures. When I talk to people about getting um, about their photos, I take my digital camera and I take pictures of their pictures of their grandparents or any pictures that they will allow me to take. I take mm-hmm. pictures, I label them, I store them in my, in my computer, I back up my computer uh, frequently. If, if I lost all of that, I would be absolutely devastated. Um, now, other than
1: sharing this information with the people at the end, have you put this together in a book for
0: that the community? My, that is my plan. I've actually talked to uh, one of the um, the person and the Durham Library. Her name is Lynn Richardson, who runs the genealogy department in the Durham Public Library, and we've had long discussions about this. And my plan And she is excited that I was doing this research. And my plan is to write a book documenting all of these families. And also I'm documenting what they're doing along the way because I don't want it to just be a book about names. Mm -hmm. Um, I want it to be a book about, you know, pretty much about their lives back then, Mm -hmm. as much as I can figure out. And give it to the Durham Library as um so people can go in and look for it. I also want to make it available for anyone who you know ha- is a descendant of these um Lipscomb slaves mm-hmm. and I talked to a lot like I said I talked to a lot of Lipscomb um descendants, and Durham is such a small uh place there's and being that Lipscomb the Lipscomb plantation was the third largest in the county, it's hard to find someone who isn't a descendant of one of these Lipscomb slaves. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would like people to have this on their bookshelf so that they can look back and see, you know, where they came from. That
1: would be absolutely wonderful. Now, had any of the Lipscomb's gotten together and had a family reunion and had opportunity to hear the stories that you've shared with us?
0: The Arrowhead Inn is pushing me to organize a Lipscomb reunion on their property. Uh-huh. And I have not been able to um get together to do that. The Lipscombs themselves they have had reunions but only within families. I would uh-huh. love to organize a larger Lipscomb reunion of the Lipscomb slaves, but I'm kind of I'm thinking that would probably involve all of Durham. <laughs> so <laughs> but I would so. love <laughs> I know, I know, one big party. But um I um, at some point I do want to have a huge reunion on the um old Lipscomb uh plantation of the mm-hmm. descendants of the Lipscomb um slaves. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. would be a wonderful party. And well, why don't you tell us where are you gonna look next? Well, um next I am going to be looking um I'm going to go back to the archives and look up the um William Lipscomb's deeds and that's going to give me an idea of when he's purchased a lot of these slaves. I already have all the slave papers. I went and to the archives and um they have a very they had a large uh collection of slave papers for Orange County and I looked at them and said I'll buy all of them and they very nicely copied it was about 1000 pages and sent it to me uh free of charge and I use that so if anyone is doing any research in Orange County and they want to look at slave papers um they can just email me and I can look in my collection because I have it all organized instead of mm-hmm. going to Durham so I want to go and look at his deeds all of his deeds and that's going to give me more of an idea where these slaves came from it should mm-hmm. show me you know and it should give me some more names because along the way the slave owners would use the uh slaves uh, they would mortgage slaves to go and purchase other things and so i should be able to um you know find other find other slave names and be able to attach some of these slaves to parents um be able to find out where he's purchased them. So um, that's uh, one area that I'm going to be looking when I go there. Um, I have to go look in Person County because William Lipscomb originally came from Person County. Go look at their slave papers, go look at their deed books, um, and try to figure out where those those came from. Um, let me see. I have to go back to the Orange County um, Register of Deeds And go look up those marriage certificates that I was not able to get to because there are a couple of loose ends, people that I have not been able to attach to trees to see if they have any parents listed on there. Because unfortunately, some of the people don't know who their parents were. They Mm -hmm. are purchased as children and they don't know who their parents are. And, you know, that's very sad. But at least... You know, the ones who don't know who their parents are, I may be able to go back on the deed books and figure out who their parents are, or I can just leave it at that and say parents unknown and leave that as a sad commentary to slavery. Um, I'm going to be um, making some more trips to NARA to go and look up some um, tax information to see if I uh, find anything in the taxes for um for William Lipscomb. I'm lucky to have a NARA that is about 30 miles from my house Mm -hmm. and uh, look up information there. Um, Let me see. I have to go look at the uh, Granville slave papers and see if uh, they have any information there about my family. I'm going to be going to Chapel Hill to go look at the university to look at their uh, slave records. Duke University has a wonderful collection of uh, papers regarding slavery. I want to go into their collection to see what they have there. Um, I I think if I went back, I think if I lived there, I could still do it full-time for the rest of my life,
1: just <laughs> researching
0: this one plantation. So. Well,
1: it, it sounds like it would be uh, excellent research, and you certainly sound like you have a game plan.
0: And the thing is is that you have to say at some point, I need to say stop at some point and make a book. <laughs> so I, I haven't figured out where I'm going to say stop and sit down and write the book. Mm-hmm. Well, that, com-
1: that time will come when you feel that you have enough in the ancestors that's given you as much as you can to share with everyone else, which is what I'm happy that you're doing that with us. Now, what tips would you give to anyone searching for their enslaved ancestors?
0: I would say the information is out there. You just have to look. Uh, Persevere and look. You'd be surprised at the footsteps our ancestors left. When I first started, I knew the names of my grandparents and my great-grandparents, and I had an idea where they were born. And I knew some of their siblings, and that's all I knew. Uh And from that information, from the footsteps that I've found, you know, people have said, oh, I don't have any pictures of my family. When I first started, I had a picture of my grandfather and my grandmother uh-huh. and a really old picture of my great-grandmother. I now have pictures of several of my great-great-grandparents. I have pictures of some of my great-great-great-grandparents, you know, and I'm in my 50s, and these I'm talking about people that were born around 1800. I have pictures uh-huh. of those. And simply because I ask, I go to um, distant relatives and I ask, what old pictures do you have? And they pull mm-hmm. out pictures, and I'm just amazed at what is out there. Um, and You just have to ask. Um, when you go, and another thing that I found is that people like to talk about their families. They're willing to have, you know, you talk to the elderly, they want to talk about their lives and they want to talk about, you know, what mama did and grandmama did uh one family member i found um was i found um talking on the phone i said well we've got to be related i'm trying to figure i was trying to figure out how we were related and i gave her my great great grandmother's name and she happened to uh be talking to her 93 year old mother and she said mom have you heard of this woman and she said yes that was my grandfather's sister wow you know and and mm-hmm. you just have to ask and talk and talk to people And with each passing day, people are getting older and people are dying. So you have to ask now. That's Um, right. That's right. Don't wait. No, don't wait. Go talk to your elderly people. One of the most frustrating things I ran into was my dad's cousin who did all of this research. Um, I didn't have any deep conversations with her about it until she started developing Alzheimer's and I didn't realize it. And she, She wouldn't give me any of her research. She said I found it and you can too. I am <laughs> finding it but I really wish I had her research.
1: <laughs> and her
0: research disappeared when she went into the nursing home. So Oh, that's unfortunate. So all that years so I I made my son's promise that they will keep all of my research even if they're not mm-hmm. interested to keep it for the next researcher. But mm-hmm. you have to get out there and ask. Go to your local um where your local records are kept. The records are there, most of the towns they have some records. You hear about um courthouses burnt down. You know when I went to Durham, they said, "Oh, the courthouse burnt down well they records are kept in other places. you know you can go to libraries, um go look at your state archives. I had a picture of my my great great grandmother Julia Forsyth Lipscomb. We had some discussion among uh, my cousins whether who it was whether it was one great great grandmother or another great great grandmother we had no idea half of the, the family was split on who she was i went to the state archives in um in uh, washington state and my great uh, my great grand uncle uh, charles lipscomb had donated the collection or someone had donated the collection of his family photos to the archives and i found her picture in with his collection so that told me that was his mother and not you know my other great great grandmother so that i was able to identify her and who would have thought that there were black people from the early 1900s you know pictures in a state archive but i found a whole collection and they were thrilled that me and my cousins could sit down and identify these people because They had the pictures, but the pictures had no identification. And I was telling my cousins we have to identify it because we're the last generation who knows who these people are.
1: Not only identify them, but share the information, share those pictures, get them out there. You know, one thing I want to just share with with everyone that's coming up on my show is that I have – uh, a film producer by the name of Thomas Allen Harris, and he's the founder and president of Chimpanzee Productions. And he has coined the term, the Digital Diaspora Family Reunion, yes. in which he has encouraged individuals to pull out the pictures from the shoeboxes, yes. from the closet and whatever, and Videotape people talking about the photos. Yes. I mean, if you you have family members who are sharing with you those pictures, tape them. You know, get them on tape as they describe, this is grandma, whoever. And that is something that you could just share around the world, basically. I mean, as your digital family reunion, yes. if you we don't lost. have a chance to put them together. Yes.
0: We lost so many pictures when Isabel died. My cousin wanted those pictures, and they were thrown away by the people, people who thought that they were trash, that I have hundreds of pictures in my computer, and anyone that shows the slightest bit of interest in any of these pictures, I send them to them. I send them to some people who don't have any interest, just to explain to them who they are. I don't mm-hmm. want any more pictures lost. You know, um, paperwork you can usually piece together and recreate a picture when it's lost is lost forever. It's
1: lost, you're right. And the
0: information on that picture, because I know of a lot of people who will open up a book and say, well, I have this picture, but I don't know who it is. Mm -hmm. And when I send pictures to people, I send information about this picture. Who is this picture? You know, who is this person? Um, Their dates of birth, who they married, and as much information as I can, because I want the pictures to live, because as long as these pictures live, our ancestors live. You mm-hmm. can look at these pictures. It's amazing. I have a picture of one of my great-grandfathers, and my son looks like him. You know, it, you you can see the resemblance down through the years. Mm-hmm. And I I just find that amazing. So um, I spread pictures among relatives as, as broadly as I can. I, I pass them around, and I encourage others to do the same. Unfortunately, I found family members that keep pictures there. They have family feuds, and they don't want to share pictures. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: I have acted as go-between and taken a picture of the picture and tried to share it. But, um, yes, I I call myself a picture whore. If you have a picture, I want it.
1: Well, let me ask you something, two two things. First of all, do you have a blog?
0: I do not have a blog. Or a website. told me I should... Start a blog, but no, I don't have a blog, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about starting one, Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I have not gotten into that yet.
1: Yes, or or have you even considered sharing some of your photos on AfroGenius?
0: You know what? I have considered that, but I don't know how to upload that, and I will have to talk. I'm sure Art or one of the other ones can walk me through that. I've shared my photos with uh, any relatives that I have found. I'm very free with my information. I'm also free with any research that I've done. I mm-hmm. will share my research as long as um, I get some kind of attribution. And, you know, you don't say that this is your research because I've worked too hard for it. But um, I am always willing to uh, send people information about their families because I want mm-hmm. people to learn about their families. But, no, I... At some point, I'm going to have to start a blog. I want to upload these pictures because I want these pictures to be someplace where they'll never be lost mm-hmm. um, and and where people can use them. I have, um, up in Washington State, my cousin has hundreds of pictures dating back to the early 1900s of my Lipscomb ancestors that the universities in Washington State are drooling over, but he doesn't feel comfortable sharing them at this point. And mm-hmm. he has allowed me to take copies of the pictures for which I am forever grateful. But um, I'm just concerned about conditions of, you know, all these old photos lying around, and I want to get copies before they deteriorate or before their identities are forgotten like um, Mm -hmm. the picture of Philip Lipscomb that I am looking at, and I said, this has got to be Philip Lipscomb. But I'm not 100% sure, and I don't know if I'll ever be 100% sure unless I find something else with his name on it that says, this is Mm -hmm. Philip Lipscomb. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I certainly want to just thank you so much for sharing uh, your research with us tonight some of you may notice that I have extra time that's still streaming across the airways. Well, actually, Gwen, I didn't want to stop you from talking, and so oh. I added extra time. <laughs> To the show So that you could mm-hmm. say everything You needed to say And so if I don't have Any more qu- questions From the chat room or any questions From you uh, We can go on to uh, Discussing just some other areas But I just want to Thank you so can much
0: I, Can I mention my email address If there are any Absolutely. Like, Yes. Okay. Absolutely My email address is it's GeoNoetic at ATT.net, and I have to spell that. It's G-E-O-N-O-E-T-I-C at ATT.net. You can also find me posting on AfroGenius and um, our Black, what is it? Our Black ancestors on Facebook.
1: Yes. You can find me
0: on, you can find me on Facebook as uh, uh, Gwen Smith Olson. And um, if you are a Lipscomb descendant, I urge you to contact me, and I can put you in contact with your ancestors. And that's all I have to
1: say. Well, thank you so very much. That's that's wonderful, and I hope that the Lipscombs out there will contact you. I thank think you that for, for you to just to just spread the word and just have all of the people contact you and then come back on and tell us what happened. It's just something that we want to know about. Well, I am really excited folks to tell you about the February lineup. I have some wonderful guests that will be coming on. Our guest next week, uh, is Margot Lee Williams. Margot will discuss a Story about some research that she conducted And she uncovered her Quaker ancestor Named Miles Lassiter Now we're going to follow her journey Through court records in the Carolina countryside As she uncovers her roots And so I hope you will join the show next week To listen to Margot On February the 9th I'm very excited that we will have Stephanie Martin-Coyette Stephanie has actually done surname mapping in the Florida parishes of southeast Louisiana, and she has gathered over 10,000 surnames for this specific region. And she will share with you, you know, basically the implications of doing surname mapping in your particular community. I did mention to you that Thomas Allen Harris, uh, the founder and uh, president of Chimpanzee Productions, will come on, and he's going to have a lively discussion about searching for identity, family, and spirituality through sharing family stories and images in a virtual family reunion format called the Digital Diaspora Family Reunion Roadshow. So that show is on February 16th. And then on February 23rd, we will have Nathania A. Branch Miles. And her talk is going to be on kinships and family ties. And I know that she is going to have a ball just sharing with us all of the different uh family ties that she has found, and how you can also find a similar family tie. So I hope that you will all join me each week as we will have different researchers coming on board to share with you exciting and just wonderful information concerning genealogy. And Gwen? Once again, I want to thank you for joining me tonight And providing the listeners with valuable information It's like a part three of slave era research And I certainly want to thank you So good night, everyone And remember, your ancestors left footprints As Gwen has just pointed out Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you Through oral history, family records Research at the National Archives and Beyond. And before I close, I want you all to tune in tomorrow night at Genie Bloggers, where Angela Walton Raji will serve as the host. And this is going to be a very interesting show because you're going to have, I'm going to be on the show talking about meeting uh, descendants of the slave owners of my family, and you will also have others who are. Uh, Descendants of of slave owners And so this is going to be quite an interesting show And it's coming on tomorrow night So thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett Good night, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday Good night